Welcome to Court of Opinion. I'm Eric Gonzalez. I'm Mike Stir. All right, man. We are in the finals uh, for both of the conferences. We've had some exciting Game 7 outcomes. Uh, we're already halfway through one of the finals when we haven't even started the other, which we'll talk about in a moment. Uh, another day, another coach gone. Talk about some recent step downs. And then the lottery happened last night with the Pistons coming out on top. And then we'll finish with everybody's favorite segment, plead their case. But to start, game seven outcomes, Bucks eliminate Nets. KD dropped 49 in the loss. The Hawks eliminate the 76ers. Pretty much the whole team and everybody everywhere blames Ben Simmons. So let's talk about that first one, Bucks versus Nets. Um, what do you think of that game overall? And uh, I think a very fitting game to close out that series. Yeah, that game was honestly one of the most entertaining game sevens you could ask for. Both teams really did give it their all. Um, Katie, obviously, with an all-time great performance, scoring 49 points, which was the most ever in a playoff game seven. He was 17 of 36, 4 of 11 from three, 10 of 11 from the free throw line, nine rebounds, six assists. And he played 53 minutes um, just one season after having that Achilles surgery. So I think that he really did just leave it all out there. He was a toe away from hitting a three that would have won him the game. But since he had his foot on the line, it ended up just uh, sending the game to overtime, which they would eventually go on to lose. But this was also a great performance by the Bucks. You got to give it to them as well. Giannis Antetokounmpo after the game said Kevin Durant was the best player in the world, but he didn't play bad himself. He had 40 points, 13 rebounds, five assists, only turned it over three times, had a block, 15 of 24 shooting. So um, he definitely did his part, but definitely a, a well-deserved series victory for the Bucks and an all-time great performance by Kevin Durant. It's a shame that he didn't have um, a healthy team with him. We said it on many segments that the only thing that could really stop the Nets from winning at all would be injuries. And it seems that's how it played out. Yeah, that was definitely their biggest factor. Um, James Harden, I think when, when all three of them are healthy next year, assuming Kyrie doesn't sit out half the season and they have more chemistry, um, I, they're, they're definitely going to be the, the championship favorites. We'll see what Sean Marks does in terms of getting talent around that team um, and good role players. But with those three on the floor all at one time, they, they appear unstoppable. Um, and so it, it'll be interesting to see. Uh, yeah, hats off to the Bucks and, and them uh, being able to close out and exercising some. It, it seems like this whole playoffs is about people and teams uh, excising or exercising their, their demons. Like you have Chris Paul finally making it to Western Conference Finals. The Clippers finally making it to Western Conference Finals. Those two couldn't make it together. Um, you have Giannis uh, beating the Heat beating the Nets, getting to a conference finals. Um, and then uh, on, on the flip side, you have the Hawks, who not really exercising their demons, young team, but um, I guess they started off the season so poorly that they were kind of just uh, getting rid of any demons from the beginning of the season. But moving on to the East, the other East side, uh, Hawks eliminate the 76ers. Um like I said, most people blame Ben Simmons for this loss. Um, but what do you think of that game, that series? 
Um, I think that there's obviously a lot of credit to be given to the Hawks' part, who not only won the game, but, I mean, they won with Trey Young playing pretty awful. He did, like, put up some nice numbers overall, but he really struggled overall from the field. And the star of the game was really Kevin Herter, who came in with 27 points, um, something totally unexpected. No one would expect him to ever be the hero. But they basically proved to everyone that they're a pretty complete team. They're not just Trey Young. They do have a lot of guys that can hurt you in a lot of ways. And I've been saying for a while, I thought that they probably had some of the best shooting depth in terms of just knockdown shooters of any team, especially out of the ones remaining in the playoffs. And then you have on the other side, I mean, Joel Embiid overall had a great game. He had 31 points, 11 rebounds, 11 of 21 shooting. He's doing all this on a torn meniscus. He did have a ton of turnovers with eight, but that's largely because Ben Simmons wasn't doing his job as point guard and primary ball handler. He was basically a non-factor out there on offense. He only attempted, I think it was a total of three field goals for the whole series in the fourth quarter. He also had an all-time worst playoff shooting percentage. He apparently missed more free throws than some entire team's combined misses. So he had obviously an all-time horrible performance. I think Joel Embiid said it best at the end of the game. He thought that when Ben Simmons passed up a wide-open layup, um, that was the end of the game. I'm not necessarily saying that that was the end of the game in that moment, but it basically characterizes where he's at right now. He has absolutely no confidence. He can't even trust himself to hit a wide open layup. And I think part of it and probably a big reason why is because he is so awful at shooting free throws and he is so scared of going to the free throw line that he knows that people are going to foul him every time he attacks the basket. So he doesn't want to get fouled and have to go to the free throw line to miss free throws, which is probably demoralizing to a player. And he doesn't have the ability to hit a jump shot either. So if he's not attacking and he's not shooting jump shots, then he's not really doing anything. So I think that his trade value is at an all-time low right now. And I think that it'd be pretty impossible that this team um, finishes out the next season the way that they look right now, constructed as is. Yeah, I have a few things uh, to talk about with the 76ers. So, like, the first part is when Markel Fultz was injured and then lost his complete confidence in his shooting stroke. And then seemingly before his injury last year, was like returning to who people thought he was. Um, the 76ers couldn't figure him out. And I know there's a different like coaching staff, coaching regime, but like still same owner, same front office for the most part with obviously the addition of Dale Moore. Now it's different, but um, Ben Simmons has seemingly gotten worse since his rookie year. Uh, there's also an interesting stat that I saw um, since the process started in 2013, uh, Boston has been to seven playoffs, three Eastern Conference finals, uh, and then the rest of the teams are going to follow that same playoff finals format. Toronto, seven and two, Milwaukee, six and two, Indiana, six and one, Miami, five and two, Atlanta, five and two. Washington has been to five playoffs. Brooklyn has been to five playoffs. Philadelphia, four playoffs, zero Eastern Conference finals. So people highly tout this whole process talk, but realistically, you are doing worse than eight other teams in the conference, which is more than half the conference overall. Um, 
And on top of that, uh, somebody else said, uh, Ben Simmons might be the best player in the NBA if there wasn't a basket. Uh, probably a true statement. Um, and I, I just, I'm not sure what he lost with his confidence um, and, and why that is the way that it is. Maybe Devin Booker sucked it all out when he started dating Kendall. Maybe that was his like mojo. Um, be. She dated a couple other guys first. Yeah, but Blake Griffin was not doing anything, and then all of a sudden doing something on the net. So, I I don't understand um, if if it's a coaching thing and the coaches aren't putting them in successful positions. I can't imagine Doc Rivers is ever not telling Ben Simmons to pull up for a layup. I don't think any coach would ever say, "Hey, pass this open lookout." I think people are getting frustrated with Jimmy Butler when he was doing it last uh, finals as well. Um, so it's not just a Ben Simmons thing, but yeah, I, he's, he's got to figure out that side of the ball. Cause if not, he's going to be, uh, a, like just a defensive passer, um, like a taller, better version of Rondo. Yeah. I mean, and I think Rondo at this point probably offers a little more versatility because at least Rondo has shown the ability to take a three point shot if they give it to him. He may not knock it down at a super high clip, but he'll at least take that shot, and he occasionally will knock it down. And there are some games where he'll knock down enough of them where it might make a difference or it may change the defensive look that your team is in, which is all you need to do. You don't have to necessarily be an elite shooter, but it seems that he doesn't even have the ability to even want to take the shot. Yeah, so, I mean, touching on that with Rondo, uh, following his – like last Lakers season, um, he shot 36% then 33%. Then season 40.3% from three. So he's clearly working on his three to get better in that department. And his free throw percentage last year uh, was 94% for Rondo, which is otherworldly for any player, but especially for a guy who for his career is shooting 60%. He, he clearly is working something in that. Ben department. Simmons needs to call him. Yeah, he didn't take that many attempts, but obviously the few that he did, making them pretty consistently. But I digress. As you look towards this Bucks Hawks uh, matchup, what, like, what do you think is going to happen? Who do you think is going to come out on top? What What are your predictions overall? Um, I mean. As much as I want to give the Hawks a chance because they've obviously proven everybody wrong two consecutive series now. People keep saying, oh, yeah, they're going to lose in the next one, but they keep outperforming everyone's expectations of them. I just really don't see it um, matching up well against the Bucks. I think the Bucks are the better defensive team, and – I think that the two best players on the Bucks are probably better than the two best players on the Hawks. Um, I think that although the Hawks are pretty deep in terms of their shooting, I think the Bucks have the requisite length and depth to be able to cover those kinds of guys. And the Bucks are just a huge team. They were able to smother people like Kevin Durant. Um, they were able to smother everyone in the Miami heat. And I'm sure that Trey young is going to get to the free throw line and he's going to have his games where they score, but the bucks, their ability to consistently execute a defensive game plan 
I think is going to be trouble for the Hawks because the Hawks rely a lot on that three-point shot falling, probably more than any other team in the playoffs right now. And when it's not falling, they tend to lose. So the Bucks are pretty good at limiting three-point shooters with their length. And when the Bucks aren't knocking down their shots, they have that battering Ram and Giannis, who I think probably has an advantage over everyone on the Hawks lineup. I don't really know who they can throw at him that can defend him at all three levels. So I think it's going to be a tough series for the Hawks. Yeah, I think the X factor isn't going to be one person per se with the Hawks. It's going to be how good are they at executing cutting and getting to the basket. Because if they can do that for the first quarter of the first game and get the Bucks off the three-point line, then it's going to open up the rest of their game for the entire game one. And if they demoralize the Bucks at home game one, then it's a completely different series for the rest of the, the series. So I think that that should be the game plan going in is beat them up on the inside if you can. And if you do, it's for the rest of the game going to open up your spacing for shooters and allow you to knock down the shot that you prefer to be taking. Um, so we'll see what uh, Nate McMillan draws up. Sure, it'll be uh, a good and exciting series overall, but uh, definitely looking forward to it. But moving on to the other series, Suns lead 2-0 after a one-point victory last night. Um, I don't understand why the Western Conference Finals didn't start last night instead of it starting on Sunday because now they've played two games they have the Bucks Hawks starting tonight. So if the Bucks Hawks goes seven games and then the Suns Clippers goes four games, it sounds like they're going to have a long layoff. Um, or if they go seven games and the Bucks conversely or the Hawks go four and out, um, it's it's going to be a very uh, short turnaround for them having played more games. So I don't really understand the scheduling there. But anyhow, uh, as you look to this series, the Clippers being down 2-0 is something that they've been oh so familiar with this playoffs. Um, do they have a chance, though, this time of coming back? Um, I think that depends a lot on Kawhi Leonard's health. They obviously have been able to come back from 2-0 the past two series, but they had Kawhi for at least some of those games. And um, this is obviously a much deeper team than the other ones that they've faced before. So I really don't know that it's possible for them without Kawhi coming back. We know that both times when they've gone down 2-0, he's responded with a monster performance. Um, so they're going to need Paul George to recover from those free throw misses at the end of the game, get out of his head and have a really big game because if they go down 3-0, that's a different kind of hole. That becomes a lot more statistically unlikely to come back from. And um, I just don't know that this time around, the magic is going to be there for them. They had a really surprising game from Terrence Mann um, that helped them get past that last game seven. They essentially left them wide open from three over and over again, because up to that point, he had never been considered a shooter. So they basically were given that shot up. And it was one of those nights where it went down for him seven times and he gave them 30, 36 points, I believe off the bench or um, starting that night, but he gave them 36. 
So um, that's that's pretty impressive. But I don't think that they're going to have another 30-something point performance from Devin Booker like that or uh, from Terrence Mann like that this series. I think it's going to be a lot tougher for them if Kawhi Leonard doesn't come back because the Suns are a much better defensive team. So I really don't see it happening unless someone else steps up and chimes in with at least 20 to 30 points to help Paul George. Yeah, it's uh, you also have to look at it from the Sun side too. They're playing without their leader this season with Chris Paul. So he's expected to come back pretty soon. Yeah, and it's not like he was out with uh, nursing a hamstring injury or something. He's just in health and safety protocols, doing some TikTok dances with his kids. So, like, he's chilling at home. He's resting up. He's recovering. Like, he, he's going to come back fresh. And uh, Kawhi Leonard, if he comes back, you know he's going to be nursing his injury while Chris Paul is coming back completely fresh. So, I think that's already uneven of the return of the Stars. But if he comes back and Kawhi doesn't, then, yeah, this for sure is going to be uh, a lopsided Suns game three and four. Yeah, honestly, the story for the Clippers has been nice. I'm pretty sure their franchise has never won a championship before. They've never um, been to the West. Time for them. And the Suns uh, haven't been since, like, 2010. Yeah, it's a, it's a really nice story. Um, but I just don't see it happening without a healthy Kawhi Leonard, especially if Chris Paul comes back, because as you mentioned, he's going to be fresh. And Chris Paul also knows this is probably going to be the best opportunity for the rest of his career to get a championship and be a major piece to why they won. So I think that he understands that. And I really don't see um, the Clippers without a healthy Kawhi Leonard being able to overcome that. Yeah. Well, Moving on, uh, another day, another coach gone. Rick Carlisle has stepped down as coach. Um, it seems like they're cleaning house on the Mavericks side. Uh, but who do you think fills that spot for the Mavericks? Well, if it was anyone that I would speculate, <laughs> I'd have to probably say the classic Two, because they both actually make sense in this situation. Jason Kidd and Mike D'Antoni. But Jason Jason Kidd makes the most sense, though, given the fact that Jason Kidd is somebody who was himself a triple-double machine when he played. Um, He was not as big as Luka, but was a big point guard, um, great distributor. He probably sees a lot of the same things that Luka sees and probably would be great at developing a game plan that best maximized Luca's talent. Um, and then the prospect of taking over a Mavericks team where, as you mentioned, this cleaning house, you could probably be a part of influencing some of these hires, um, starting from the ground up with a clean slate, um, being involved in the process of determining how the franchise is gonna pivot for the future, but still having that cornerstone in place with Luka Doncic I think that it's about as attractive a situation as you could ask for if you're Jason Kidd. And he won a championship there. And he won a championship there. That's, yeah, that's it. He has the relationships, you know? I mean, obviously he he is beloved to the Mavs franchise. He was part of that Mavericks team that stole one from LeBron um, when he was with the Heat. 
So, I mean, it all, it would all make a lot of sense. It's almost like if it was scripted. Yeah, no, he's, it, it's going to be Jason Kidd. I would be shocked if it was not Jason Kidd. Um, and- it would only not be Jason Kidd if Jason Kidd decided for whatever reason that he still wanted to stay with the Lakers because there wouldn't, I wouldn't imagine there would be another coaching opportunity for him that would open up. That would be better than that one. The only way he's staying with the Lakers is if they're going to um, David Blatt, Frank Vogel in the middle of the season. If they're going to say, mm, you know what, this is why we hired Jason Kidd. Uh, to if, if you fumble at the start of the season, we're axing you and we're giving the reins over to Jason Kidd. That's the only way he's staying. But yep. I, I, I think it's a foregone conclusion that it'll be Jason Kidd. I think that's why he turned down the Portland offer so quickly is because he knew that something was going on with uh, the Mavs. And he was like, I don't like, I know Dame requested me, but I don't want to get into this whole public spat because like, I know where I'm going. Um, but moving on lottery results, the Detroit Pistons win the lottery rockets get second Cavs third Toronto. And then, uh, Orlando gets a couple picks within the top 10. So what's, uh, what are your thoughts on the lottery results and who do you think the top pick will be? You're the rockets. You're obviously disappointed. You had an awful year. And you don't get the top pick. But this draft, honestly, is a pretty great draft. Um, By all accounts and purposes, it seems like the most likely top pick would be Cade Cunningham, who is a large point guard. Um, Seems to have, I don't want to say he's going to be Luka Doncic, but he's got that similar combination of size, vision, passing at the guard position with the ability to score from all three levels somewhat consistently. Um, He doesn't have like elite athleticism, but he doesn't really have any major red flags either. So um, I think that he probably would be a safe top pick. And then you have Jalen Green, who is basically the prototypical forward athletic freak prospect that you see every draft, who is the 6'7", 6'8" jump out of the gym guy who's got great athletics, but is kind of raw and needs to polish up a little more. Um, But he has a very high ceiling, obviously. I think he has some similarities to Anthony Edwards, in my opinion. So I think that he could sneak in there for the top pick too. Yeah, I think, I think it will be uh, Kate Cunningham for sure. Um, I think that second pick, it's a toss up really between the two Jalen's Jalen Green, Jalen Suggs, as well as Evan Mobley out of USC. Um, those are the, the other three names that I see as like 2A, 2B, 2C, but Kate Cunningham's definitely, I think the clear favorite and good for the uh, Pistons. Uh, you know, they have some promising uh, young stars that made the all-rookie team this year, as well as having Jeremy Grant, who um, had an an amazing season and probably has still room to improve and um, become maybe the most improved player next season. But uh, they're putting together a a decent crew over there. Hopefully uh, people aren't taking plays off like Blake Griffin was. But overall, I think uh, Motor City has some things to be excited about. Yeah, they got to be happy about the pairing with Sadiq Bey. He's a, he's a nice rookie. Yeah, so, the um, most ridiculous thing, though, that I heard last night was 
from Rachel Nichols. Love Rachel. But she was uh, talking about the Cavs and was like, the Cavs had some great lottery luck in the last decade. No <laughs> team should be happy about hearing lottery luck in the last decade. That means you've been in the lottery or around the lottery for over a decade, which means that when at the start of the decade, when you got your picks, your team has done absolutely nothing with them. Yes, I know that they won a championship. But that's because LeBron came back. Aside from that, they have really done nothing in terms of keeping their picks or at least getting the like requisite capital back for those picks. Yep, I agree with that. That's like the equivalent of saying you're good at having bad luck. All right, and with that, moving on to our favorite segment, Plead Their Case. we got a couple of good questions this week for you, but let's start off with Kevin Durant. He gets eliminated after dropping 49 points, the most ever in a Game 7. Giannis, after the game, um, was on the record saying that he still thinks that Kevin is the best player in the world. Plead Kevin Durant's case for why he should now be considered the league's best player, even though he didn't get a ring. Yeah, I mean, LeBron was the league's best player for quite some years without ever having a ring. Michael Jordan, same story. I mean, Michael Jordan didn't get his first ring until later in his career either. Um, I know that he came out of college, but it was when he was an older uh, individual. So, I mean, Kevin already has a couple rings. Yeah, people can say what they want that they're with Golden State, but you have a guy who just came off of Achilles injury and we covered this, I think in the like third episode that the list of guys who have come back and had a better season after having an Achilles injury as of late, it was pretty much Rudy Gay was the only uh, outlier. Everybody else came back and was atrocious following their Achilles injury. And now Kevin Durant comes back, has an extremely efficient season overall. And then throughout these playoffs was playing pretty much the entire time. I think every single game, it got to the point where he was playing more and more minutes until the last game where he played I think every single minute of the regular span of uh, the four quarters as well as overtime. So you have a guy who's coming off of an injury, who's playing out of this world, and on top of that is doing it like without any rest whatsoever. So I think he's the purest scorer of all time. I think he's getting better on defense as he's gotten older. They were talking about one of his last seasons in Golden State of him being potentially in consideration for defensive player of the year. Um, and just all in all, he continues to improve his game. Um, and just with the way he can score and carve you up from wherever on the floor, he's going to be in the league for a long time. Yeah, um, in my opinion, I have to agree with you. I think that he's definitely the best player in the league. Um, and then from a leadership standpoint, I know that a lot of people want to say that one of the reasons why they wouldn't put him ahead of LeBron is because of that leadership aspect. People have always criticized, oh, he's not vocal enough. Um, he's not um, your traditional vocal leader who's whipping his team into shape. But I think there's no better way to lead than how you described by putting it all on the line, playing every minute, giving his all on both ends. Um, I think that, like you mentioned, his defense has become really special. He now consistently blocks steals one and two every game. He honestly doesn't have any weaknesses or liabilities. There's no holes in his game. And to do this after an Achilles injury where he could be scared, intimidated, I mean, he literally knows what it is 
to and he didn't play, play for half the season. Yeah, he didn't play for half a season, and he's he's already signing up too to join for the Olympics. The guy has no stop. He just he's he loves scoring. He loves the game of basketball. He just got eliminated from the playoffs and is already saying that he's going to suit up for the Olympics for Team USA. In my mind, he's definitely the most complete player in the league right now. I have to agree with you. Yeah, I think him um, and James are using that as like the part of the season that they had where they weren't playing together. So now they're just going to be able to build their chemistry uh, while working with amazing coaches uh, throughout the summer as well. Another thing I really love to see about him was um, I think most people would say the argument to who is the best player would be LeBron because he's been for many years the best. But one thing that I also want to say about KD in terms of leadership and how much there he's criticized for it, I think that he's really underrated. Not everybody has to be a super vocal guy to still be a good leader. Look at Kawhi Leonard. He's been a champion several times and is not necessarily your vocal type dude. But I thought what was really awesome about KD was that even after a really hard-fought series, he still stayed on the court afterwards and had the grace to shake everyone's hand, look at the guys who beat him and say, hey, you know what? Like, you guys gave me a hell of a game. Good game. You know, like, congratulations. The sportsmanship aspect is not lacking in Kevin Durant. And I think that is honestly great because he's a player that I think, in all honesty, he just loves the game of basketball purely for the game, like for the game of basketball. I'm, I'm sure he'd still want to play even if it wasn't as lucrative of a career. But when you compare that to a guy like LeBron who walks off the court with five minutes to go and lets his teammates be out there and he doesn't even have the decency to shake your hand, I mean, I'd say that KD is doing fine as a leader with what his on-court actions are suggesting. So I think the baton, at least for now, is definitely passed to KD. He's the best player in the world right now. But moving on to our next one, not everything is all positive. Ben Simmons had a statistically higher offensive stat line in almost all categories in his rookie season compared to pretty much every season after that. Plead Ben's case for why he did not peak as a rookie and actually has improved over the years. I can't. Next question. (laughs) I mean, you know what? It's actually funny. In the interview, I don't know if you saw it, after the elimination game, they asked him about that. You know, the guy was an all-star, even though I didn't think he should have been, but he was voted on, had a lot of hype, star player this, star player that, was asked about his impact on the court and whether he really contributes anything if he did his job. Um, they felt like his pay is just way too high based on what he's producing. And he shot back at one point, even though he did, he did acknowledge that there's a lot that he has to improve. He shot back at one point and asked the reporters, how many points did Trey Young get? Where did he shoot from the field? How many turnovers did he have? He basically was defending himself with his defense. So I guess if we're going to make any case for him, it is that he truly is an elite defender. Trey Young really did struggle with him as a primary defender. He got some key steals. Trey Young, who's normally a pretty good ball handler, got stripped a couple times. So I guess you can say if you really, really love the defensive side of the ball, he's improved in that area. But I agree, he's seemingly regressed in everything else. I really can't make a case for him either. Yeah, but I like 
when I think about guys who are uh, more defensive minded, obviously Giannis comes to mind. Rudy Gobert comes to mind. Like they're still able to put up double digit points on a nightly basis. They're still able to impact the game on the offensive end and they're not shooting 30% from the line. So I think like reporters have the right to ask, uh, do you think you're being paid a little too much? Because from his performance, this playoffs severely overpaid and he's going to be a huge hindrance to the 76ers moving forward. Yep. I agree with that. We'll be, uh, we'll be seeing if he's on the 76ers roster at the start of next year. They might want to hold on to him a little bit longer, given that his trade value probably is on all-time low right now. Maybe he can get a couple of regular season games to pad some stats and maybe get something out of this. But I agree, if he doesn't um, improve, all signs point to Ben Simmons heading over to the Beijing Sharks. But moving on to the next one. <laughs> I think it's have the said, Guangdong Sharks and the Beijing Dragons, I think. There we go. There we go. Honestly, either one of them could probably take them. I hear a joke that the Canadian national team is no longer interested in his services after what he's done. Australian. But we'll see. But Australian, right. I, I'm honestly, I'm honestly just flipping on all my uh, Ben Simmons facts. But moving on to another very interesting storyline. It's Luka Doncic versus Trey Young. These two are going to be linked forever. And I think that many people largely would say that Luka Doncic was the better talent. And as a result, many have said that the Hawks ended up losing the Doncic-Trey Young trade. But Trey Young is now the one that has taken his team into his conference's finals and also has 12 consecutive games of 20 points and seven assists which is the longest such streak in playoff history. Doncic, on the other hand, I mean, not like he's been a poor playoff performer, but he has not advanced past the first round. Plead the Hawks' case for why they actually may have won their trade. I, I can plead the case for both sides. I think both sides won that trade. I think for the Hawks, they got exactly who they wanted and were able to trade back and procure additional capital. And for the Mavericks, they were able to trade up and get the guy that they wanted. Um, I think that both of them are going to be elite talents. Yes, they will always be uh, joined in terms of like this draft and that trade. But if you look at the Mavericks, we've talked about it the last couple episodes. They don't have a John Collins. They don't have a Clint Capella. They don't have a Bogdan Bogdanovich. Like, they don't have the team that the Hawks have. I think if you put Luka Doncic on the Hawks and Trey Young on the Mavericks right now, the Hawks would be where they're at and the Mavericks would be where they're at. So I'm not saying that these two are necessarily interchangeable. They offer you different things and a different skill set overall, but Luka has nothing of a supporting cast as compared to what the Hawks currently have. Yeah, I, I probably agree with you. And I think that in the end, I would still rather have Doncic. But yes. Trey Young has proved that, I mean, he's he's no slouch. Like, it's basically like saying you're comparing a guy who is probably going to be, I mean, if they both stay healthy, they're both going to be Hall of Fame caliber guys. 
but one is going to be a Hall of Famer and the other one is going to be a first ballot, no doubt, Hall of Famer. So it's just a slight shade of difference like that. But um, I agree. But while we're on the topic of talking about these two guys, I got one more extra plead your case. The NBA is going to be implementing some changes next season. Part of it having to do with some of the exploits of guys like Trey Young and Luka Doncic, who have become very adept at drawing fouls. Um, The NBA has finally come forward and said that they're going to implement rule changes next year for offensive fouls on offensive players that try to draw a foul by essentially forcing the contact by either jumping into you at an unnatural angle, kicking their leg out, um, or doing the Trey Young special where they suddenly stop, kind of jump backwards, let you as the defender bump into them, and then they get the foul, kind of like the, oh, I hit my brake suddenly and you drove into me. Um, He popularized that one. But basically, these rule changes would make it so that if you did that, it would be an offensive foul. So I know that a lot of guys who are relying on these free throws for an extra six to seven, maybe even nine to 10 points a game, that could be a big hit on your scoring average. Plead, Trey Young, Luka Doncic, and some of our other favorites like James Harden's case for why they can still be just as effective next season with these new rule changes set to take place. I, th- I think that they'll be able to still be effective because they're elite, otherworldly offensive talents. Um, I do think that it will make them have to be uh, more creative, which is, I think, hard to think about given how shifty they can be. But thinking about these rule changes and thinking about the NBA historically, the NBA, when flopping was really bad in, I think it was around the 2011, 2012, they tried to say that they were going to implement a rule where they were fining people for flopping. And it's it was one of those things that, yes, yeah, somebody implements it and it becomes this new shiny object and they try it out and they try doing it. But guys flop all the time now and just throw themselves on the floor without ever actually being touched. LeBron did it when somebody uh, elbowed him or didn't elbow him in the beard and he kept pointing out his beard. Um, And there have been countless other people that have done it as well. Um, But no one's getting fined. No one's getting suspended for that. Nobody's getting um, like, yeah, you're getting ridiculed in the media afterwards, but it it's become a part of the game again and it's not something that's being called or looked at. So I think this will be a similar thing. They'll try to do something about it. It'll work for a little bit. And then people will start getting crafted different unconventional thing that they haven't seen before. And they're going to be like, um, we, we didn't consider that one. So I don't know if we can really chalk that up to uh, unnatural shooting motion. So I, I don't know it in theory, it sounds great, but realistically I don't see much being changed overall. Yeah, for me, I agree with you. I don't think too much will change in the way of, you know, fines, suspensions, or anything like that. But I think one thing that makes this huge is that we saw, especially in the playoffs, in crunch time, sometimes you had a game-changing play where a defender was called for a foul on a three-pointer or a key basket where the offensive player really just forced the contact and there's really not much you could do about it at this point because 
up to this point, it wasn't against the rules. That would be a foul on the defender, even if there's slight contact. I think where it makes a difference is that now, if this were to happen in a game that matters like the playoffs, you can actually challenge it and actually potentially get it overturned now that it is truly a rule. And it's a big call to overturn too, because it's not just that the other team gets the possession back and um, gets the foul removed from their player, but the offensive player gets an offensive foul for that, which can make a difference in a close playoff game. So I think that largely during the regular season, things of that nature, it probably won't really have too much of a consequence game in and game out. But I think for important moments where a game might be swung because of such type of a play, I think that players may be more hesitant to try to force contact that way to try to force the outcome of a game in late game situations, because now it can be something that can be reviewed and overturned and potentially cost you a big bucket and also a foul. So um, I think that um, it's a, it's a nice welcomed rule change just to say it too. And to put it out there is probably a little helpful because it may deter players from trying to do it as much as they have been. And I'm for anything where we can go back, to just playing basketball. I think that this season there was just way too many calls, especially on jump shooters. So anything in the way of trying to regulate that a little bit um, and making the game a little bit more balanced is something that I would definitely welcome. Yeah, I mean, I I hear you. I, I just don't think that there's going to be, um, like, I, I consider this the same way that uh, in the NFL, they tried implementing a pass interference reviewable um, rule for one season, and it flopped completely because the refs never really overturned it. And so I could see something similar playing out where the the call on the floor was that it was a like defensive foul, and then they look at it and they're like, mm, I do see some contact here. And technically he did shoot the ball correctly, even though maybe he did like jump into the defender's space, but it wasn't like it's too, the call stands and it's not confirmed. So I could just see that playing out over and over again, getting people even more frustrated and having them rewatch the play is over and over again, slowing down the game, which talking about last night, the last like, 90 seconds was 33 minutes or something ridiculous of uh, the, the Suns Clippers game. So anything that's going to slow the game down that actually doesn't provide material change. I'm not for, if it does provide material change, like you're proposing. Yes. I, I just don't think it will. Yeah. I guess it remains to be seen. Um, we'll have to watch next season and see if it actually stands to make any sort of an impact. But with that, that's all we've got for you on this episode of Court of Opinion. Thank you guys for tuning in. Make sure to follow us, subscribe, and definitely hit us up on Twitter. If you have any statements, if you have any opinions that you disagree with, let us know. We'd be more than happy to tell you why you're wrong and feature your opinion on the next episode. So with that, I'm Mike Ster. I'm Eric Gonzalez. Court is adjourned.